0: Today, May forty. Here, there's a great uh, documentary on Netflix about the flight of that missing Malaysian airline, right? the The plane that disappeared. Remember that MH three seventy. So, recommend this new doco. Why the hell do Malaysian airlines keep disappearing? Why?
1: Airlines plane with nearly 300 people on board has crashed in Ukraine near the Russian border. Flight MH17 took off from Amsterdam just after midday local time. It was bound for Kuala Lumpur.
2: I woke up one morning and there was a Malaysian plane splashed across the TV. Instantly, I thought it was mh370 and then i saw mh17 and i went hold on can't be another malaysian plane
0: us intelligence has concluded it was shot
1: down by a surface-to-air missile the odds of losing two airplanes within a six-month period
2: is unprecedented and both triple sevens too again it happened to malaysia airlines plane again
0: why 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 does this happen to malaysian airlines it just doesn't Make any sense how uh, is are you trying to tell me that some nations have more train accidents than others? Are you really trying to tell me that the average i q of a nation essentially correlates rather highly with how safe their airlines are, so are you telling me that say Japanese airlines and australian airlines and German airlines that they tend to be rather safe? but Russian airlines and Southeast Asian airlines, not so much. And the African airlines have the worst traffic safety record of, of any airline. Gosh, that sounds awfully, awfully racist.
1: And it happened to my colleague. And just so happened that this time they can bury their loved one. Because we also
2: yeah, We also want to bury our loved one
0: And uh, the safest airline I believe is Qantas Qantas has never had a fatal crash The good old Australian airline But why does this keep happening to Malaysian airlines? I just
2: went numb, completely numb
0: Okay, this is the former crisis director for Malaysia Airlines And
2: I just couldn't believe it we kept thinking there is probably some kind of plan to destroy our credibility
0: i don't think you need any plan to destroy malaysian credibility did it really have that much credibility to begin with so the average iq in malaysia is 93 okay so that's about the same as the country of georgia kazakhstan greece All right so country with the highest average IQ is Japan then followed by Taiwan, Singapore, Hong Kong, China, South Korea, Belarus, Finland, Liechtenstein, Netherlands and Germany. So we're talking in an average IQ in, in the United States of something like uh, 97. Uh, Malaysia's got an average IQ of 93. Right, You're going to have an awful lot of deteriorated quality of life, including airplanes crashing and all sorts of other things crashing. So South Africa, since it's ended apartheid, can't keep its infrastructure operating. It can't keep power operating. So your average IQ of a country basically predicts how efficient, how effective, how, how safe that country is going to be because the people who commit crimes, they tend to have average IQs in the 80s, right? People with 120 IQs and above, they commit very few crimes. So I don't think there was any vast conspiracy against Malaysian airlines. Uh, Malaysia has a very smart minority of the population who are Chinese, who are heavily discriminated against, so that native Malaysians who are less intelligent get to run the country. And as a result... Right, the people running Malaysian Airlines, right, not Chinese, right, not the best and the brightest.
2: A series of affection trying to bring us down. Ukrainian president called the downing of a
0: Malaysian Airlines passenger plane an act of terrorism.
1: It turned out that it was a Russian army unit under the command of Russia's military intelligence.
0: And the stupid Malaysian airline flew into a war zone, right, more intelligent airlines flew away from the war zone. The stupid Malaysian airline flew into a war zone. But let's just blame it on Russia. And I'm fine with with blaming on Russia, but uh, Malaysia deserves some of the blame for flying into a war zone.
1: Malaysian Airlines hadn't had a major accident since the 90s.
0: Oh wow, guys, come on, they hadn't had a major accident for like 15 years.
1: Now, within the span of four and a half months, they'd lost two big triple sevens. I had to wonder, is this just a coincidence? And if there was a link between the two of them, the underlying truth had to be way darker than anyone had
0: anticipated at that point. Wow, is he about to go all HBD on us? Is he saying that the is he about to tell us that the average IQ of a country is a pretty good predictor for determining how safe its airlines are going to be? I mean, it seems to be pretty empirically true. Europe won't allow most uh, most African and South Asian airlines to fly into, into Europe. The United States has the same restrictions, right? You don't see a lot of uh I don't know, Air Ethiopia or uh I don't know can't even remember and nigeria i mean that many nigerian airlines flying into the united states and and europe so is the dark truth that he's about to reveal you know human biodiversity information no we don't have shocking
2: I've got, I've got answers.
0: Great mysteries in I've got answers. Average IQ is highly predictive for a community's fate, for an individual's fate. Right? You can give an individual at age six an IQ test, and you essentially know what he is capable of. Right? A six-year-old who scores at a one hundred, you know, IQ level is never going to graduate from college. All right. Someone who has a a 90 IQ level or lower, is going to need a tremendous amount of uh, support. to so you have to navigate life. And you can learn all this with a simple IQ test at age five or six. It gives you a really accurate picture of what's possible for the child. And it also gives you an accurate picture of what's possible for a country if you look at its average IQ score.
1: Australia will lead the search in the Indian Ocean for the missing Malaysia Airlines jet
0: yeah so the first world once again comes to rescue the incompetence of uh other countries okay have you uh, have you blown the the friendly skies of uh, Malaysia guys, our greatest ally israel its democracy is under threat because Israel now has the most right wing government in its history and it is going to curtail the power of the Israeli Supreme Court. And this is just taken for granted in the news media as an assault on democracy. But curtailing the powers of a court or a Supreme Court does not inherently diminish democracy. When you curtail the powers of one branch of government, you simultaneously raise the powers of other branches of government. So Israel by curtailing the powers of an une- of an unelected Supreme Court is actually raising democracy because what will substitute for court-based power is elected representative power, right? If you're really all concerned about Israel's democracy, then you should be thrilled by, by this development. So did you know that uh, majoritarian impulses are anti-democratic, right? Governments... That, that are constructed along the lines of the wishes of the majority of the population and have as an agenda serving the majority of the population. Guys, these kind of majoritarian governments, they're anti-democratic. Can you think of anything more anti-democratic than a government that has support of, say, more than 60% of the population, 70% of the population, and is devising its programs and its policies, and its legislation, and its ethos to benefit the majority of the population. Have you ever heard of anything more anti-democratic than a government of the majority, by the majority, and for the majority? That's horrible. We can't have this kind of you know anti-democratic majoritarianism just running wild. This is Isma Ben-Gavir, Israel's Minister of Chaos.
2: Letter from Israel. Published in the print issue of The New Yorker with the headline, Minister of Chaos. Edmar Ben-Gavir and the Politics of Reaction. Written by Ruth Margalite, Narrated by Mojan Marneau. Late last year, as Israel swore in the most right-wing government in its history, a despairing joke circulated online. A picture broken into squares to resemble a captcha, the test designed to tell you from a robot, depicted the members of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's cabinet. The caption read, Select the squares in which people who have been indicted appear. The correct answer involved half of them. It was the kind of message that has become typical of Israel's center and left in recent years. Grim, cynical, ultimately resigned
0: that's so sad i mean it would really pain me if we had a government of people who'd been indicted who are on my side i'm just thinking about how much pain that would cause me if we had a government composed of people who'd been indicted and they're on my side and they were on the side of the majority of the population and they were passing laws for the majority of the population can you think of anything worse than a government of the majority of the people by the majority of the people, in the interests of the majority of the people? I mean, that sounds like Nazi Germany. Can you think of anything more like Nazi Germany than a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? That's just pure evil. Glib Medley says, easier to shift the balance of power when you don't have a constitution. Yeah, I mean, think about how much the United States Constitution has protected us from degeneracy, from things like same-sex marriage, you know, the transsexual revolution. I mean, things can get pretty grim in the United States. We've got skyrocketing murder rates. We've got you know, massive amounts of immigration, legal and illegal. We've got a porous southern border. But one thing that always brings me comfort is that at least we still have the Constitution, guys. So protect the Constitution because it protects you poor Israel. It doesn't have our constitution that makes it so susceptible to these anti-democratic tendencies.
2: A few weeks later, Netanyahu's cabinet introduced the first stage in a judicial overhaul that would weaken the country's Supreme Court and render the government largely impervious to oversight. Right-wing legislators... That's
0: horrifying. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a government that is largely impervious to oversight? I mean, how anti democratic is that? So you've got a government of the people, by the people and for the people. And where the hell's the oversight, guys? You bloody you bloody need some oversight. You can't just have, you know, majoritarian tendencies running wild and you know, just allowing people to elect their own representatives who then make laws in their name and enact policy to, to favor you know, to, to favor the, the majority of the population. My God, can you imagine a government without oversight of, you know, a powerful judiciary? So that would mean in California, when you have a proposition passed like 187 that would deny government benefits to illegal aliens, that that then would be enacted into into public policy and illegal aliens would no longer be eligible to a whole raft of, you know, government provisioning. I mean, that just sounds like the worst of the Maoist Cultural Revolution. This sounds like you know Joseph Stalin's Soviet Union. This is awful. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the threat to democracy if people are allowed to elect their own government by their own representatives from you know within their own people, who then legislate? for the people who elected them who composed the majority of the population and then there's no bloody oversight i mean that's that's outrageous can you imagine that's like allowing people to go onto social media and just say what they believe to be true without any oversight i mean we we just can't have it's anti-democratic to allow people to democratically elect their representatives who then govern in the majority's best interests Without any oversight? How anti-democratic is that? It's, it's absolutely sickening.
2: there's had floated a similar measure before, but it was regarded as too drastic. What changed, Netanyahu's opponents say, is that he is a defendant now, on trial for allegedly providing political favours to tycoons in exchange for personal gifts and positive press coverage, charges that he denies. By removing constraints on executive power, the overhaul threatened to place Israel among the ranks of such illiberal democracies as Hungary and Poland.
0: Wow, wow, this is this is frightening. I mean, this is how democracies crumble when you reduce constraints on what the people are allowed to elect, when you reduce, you know, restraints on a governments enacting what people want the majority of the population want uh, we we just can't can't have this we, we now have an executive who simply by virtue of the fact that he has the support of the majority of the country and the majority of the country's representatives you know by for an Israeli government a comfortable margin about four seats you know normally Israeli governments operate with a one seat majority so netanyahu's got a clear four, four seat majority and and now as long as he can maintain the support of all these different representatives and maintain a a majority of their support, he can just rule absolutely unchecked. He's like Adolf Hitler all over again, but worse. In
2: an extraordinarily blunt speech, the country's Chief Justice, Esther Hayut called it a fatal blow to democratic institutions.
0: Wow, can you imagine this? Israel's Chief Justice does not like the prospect of having her power reduced. I've never heard of that before. Welcome, caller. You're on the air. Blessings. Blessings. Blessings.
1: Luke. <laughs> Sorry, I had to shut off the other the other window. Ugh. The news just keeps rolling in, bro. One one wave after another is slammed into the side of the peacock.
0: Hey Luke? Yes, sir. <clears throat>
1: I've um I, I bet you didn't know that I was a poet.
0: I did not know that.
1: Well, I've been holding back. I've been hiding my power level, as they say. Wow! And I've composed a poem.
0: Beautiful. I was, I,
1: I was hoping I could share it with you.
0: Please. Okay.
1: So, so look, you know how important it is to obey reality, to live in reality, to obey. Women,
0: mm.
1: Right. We yes. know We don't need to. We don't need to go any further. It's just implicitly. It's understood. Right? Yes. Okay. So, the name of the poem is When Reality Knocks. <clears throat> so, sorry, I'm my breath. I'm, good. I'm a little a, bit, a little of a clempt, you know? So, I, it's, it's understandable. I to, don't judge you know? yourself. This is that, a great artistic moment. That leading bro. to this moment, bro. So, yeah. I'm a little misty. Okay. When Reality Knocks, will you answer the door? Will you invite him in when reality knocks? Mm. Will you offer him a glass of crystal light? Will you let him sleep on your couch? When reality knocks, will he sleep on cotton sheets? When reality asks you to jump, will you ask High, wow, when reality amazing. asks you for a blowjob. What will you do? End of wow,
0: it, that's that amazing. Important? How is did you impressive? do that?
1: Wow, yeah, I don't know. It was like a vision, it just appeared to me in a dream. I know. I mean, poetry is great, don't you think, bro?
0: Oh, yeah, that was, whoa, did that pack a punch, man. Yeah. Why, why,
1: why, why watch the NFL when you can go to a You know? My. What are people doing?
0: What are they oh. doing? I mean, Elliot Blatt, you don't have to put on the red light. I mean, those days are over. You don't have to sell your body to the night. Elliot yeah. Blatt, you don't have to wear that dress tonight. You don't care if it's wrong or it's right. You don't have to put on the red light. You don't have to put on the red light. You don't you got, have to put on the red light.
1: Yeah, I, I've been I've been listening to the Bone uh, ever since the the uh, ever since the Super Bowl. I just sort of got in the habit during the Super Bowl because that's where I was there. And you start evaluating these rock lyrics as poetry, <laughs> and you just you just you're dumbfounded at how low IQ they are. <laughs> <laughs> you're just a though. it's just a but I figured you know if I can make it big on bad poetry why can't I I don't know <laughs> so Sounds anyway strong. You, know, you know okay so you know uh, truth be told I cannot stand poetry readings and I, there was a time in my life when I would be dragged to poetry readings. Have you ever had the pleasure of a poetry reading? Attending a poetry reading.
0: I'm not sure I have, but I actually don't mind a little bit of poetry. I mean, it really resonated with your effort.
1: Oh well, who could? I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> so I went to. A, I was like back in Boston. You know, I, I was dragged to a poetry reading, and I, I, you know, it was in one of this like banded brick warehouse used to be a bakery, right? And it's like all edgy and hipster and so forth. So, you know, as I got there, I was like, you know, I had a bit of anticipation, you know, because the, the atmosphere seemed right. It seemed really like, you know, avant-garde and hipster and, and new wave and everything, you know? So I was I was really, at, as I got to the building, I was really excited about it. And so um, and then I get there, and the poetry reading begins, and this woman uh let's just say she strongly resembled Lizzo, took the stage, and she um she recited a poem. she was from New York, by the way, so she was like the top bill. I mean she was like, "If you're in Boston, you know you, you, you you're the weak." Right. And New York is the strong. So you look up to New York. Anything from New York has this automatic cachet, right? Because you're in lowly Boston, which is like one tenth the size of New York. So anyone coming from Bay, you know, anyone who's big in New York and they dare stoop to appearing in Boston, you're very uh you're humbled and appreciative of, it, right? So this woman, the top bill takes the stage, and she's enormous. And um She she recites a poem, and the poem is about being alone on the F train in Queens and masturbating on her way to Manhattan. Yeah. We've all been there. My soul just really stirred, you know? (laughs) I felt like someone was finally talking to me, you know, Luke? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was the worst. I, I left there disgusted. Right. And I, I, this was when I really became right wing in the truest sense of the word. I don't know.
0: Sorry, bro. Do you like uh, John Donne?
1: John Donne. Is he so, a famous poet?
0: Yeah, he wrote uh, To His Mistress Going to Bed. So he says, Unlace yourself for that harmonious chime. Tell me from you that now tis your bedtime off with that happy happy busk whom I envy that still can be and still can stand so nigh your gowns going off such beauteous state reveals as when from flowery meadows the hills shadow steals off with your wiry coronet and show the hairy diadem which on you doth grow now off with those shoes and then safely tread in this love's hallowed temple this soft bed i mean what a panty dropper <laughs> truly
1: yes truly awesome
0: i mean the way he his thought and sensations of his words are entirely united it's from the new york review of books i was just reading this essay <laughs> they were describing the same effect the the you know you you feel as you hear this poem you know the clothes coming off you know with each more like you're there the more clothes it's just like off. you're there it's like you're, you're there. just right there yeah
1: yeah that's the best oh, oh boy how far we've fallen,
0: Luke. Good old John Donne. Uh, I mean, this is this is great. Uh, so, so uh, when I was um, eighteen, uh, my brother and I went away camping, and his girlfriend came along, and she brought this this woman who was kind of introduced to me, and we kind of hit it off. And and afterward, the the woman said to my my brother's girlfriend, "I've never met anyone like Luke before." And my brother said, "Yeah, to meet someone like Luke, you'd have to go to outer space." And so, this this New York Review of Books article says that uh, you know Shakespeare—you can see where he, where he's coming from. He was very really, very much influenced by the Italian poet Petrarch and, and his followers. So he, he's he's part of a you know a line of tradition. But John Donne's poems, by contrast, are from outer space. No, I like that. I, I identify with that. Now, his work is just stunningly bizarre, utterly sui generis.
1: Whoa, sui generis! Yes, bro, you're really bringing out the heavy artillery tonight, my dude. Sui radically,
0: gener- yeah, radically disorienting, yet utterly persuasive. His language, talked by what might politely be called an eccentric relationship to meter splits convention open and with it the punctilious shell of fashion and gesture we mistake for the actual human body comes stuff blood bugs sperm glass gold tears rust smoke bubbles stars houses and ships on fire yeah i was going to actually do my show tonight on john Donne. really yeah
1: Heart heart's pounding man Heart yeah
0: pounding. <laughs> all right just to change
1: tack a bit here um Have you considered that the new iteration of Richard Spencer might be opening? You got you two could sort of bury the hatchet, and you could invite him on the show, and then you two you could teach Richard about radical love and inclusion. He's ready for that message. Interesting. Would that be great content, my dude?
0: it might be i mean pretty much everything richard does is uh compelling
1: yeah okay so part two next next point i have a i have a list that i have to punch through here so sorry if i'm going
0: you can never go too fast for me all right good bro all right so you saw those
1: destiny richard conversations and um and this is just like an ancient point that I had way back when or the discussion of IQ. And I completely resonate with you about IQ and its relevance and its importance and so forth. But I would guess that I that Destiny actually has very high IQ.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree.
1: Right? And yep. so... But he's so off-base, right? He lacks a certain wisdom, right? Yeah. And so, so my question is, how would you... There are people people with, that are lower in IQ, but they could somehow arrive at higher wisdom.
0: Definitely. Right?
1: And so what is, where does wisdom come from? Is that from tradition or is uh, that being, a different being type of intelligence?
0: It's a different type of intelligence. It's about being connected with reality. So that's how I would define wisdom.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So recognizing that... <clears throat> All right, so for most people in their jobs, they don't see an immediate payoff to working harder, right? They, they look at their job and they think, if I do a great job, a good job, or a mediocre job, you know my salary at the end of the year won't be much changed, right? That's like a pragmatic, realistic understanding of most people's jobs. On the other hand, the wise person would say, if you go balls out and work really hard, your income... over over the course of your lifetime will be substantially more than if you settle for mediocre.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's the person that distinguishes themselves that gets the promotion, right? They get talent. people that go above, do they shine like stars on a black horizon? No, no, no racial thing here, just a simple dark horizon, right? somebody that really puts in effort in a company they're immediately visible right it's the easiest thing to do actually it's the most um it's the most cost effective it's the most efficient thing you can do to advance your career if you're at a relatively decent workspace distinguish yourself with somebody willing to be extra diligent and work extra hard you know what i mean yeah do you agree
0: yeah no. and even if that particular company like there, there are a lot of you know Jobs that are regulated and bureaucratized, and you, you may not be able to advance financially in a significant way in that particular position. But the the skills and the attitude and the self transformation that you would undergo by going all out will definitely serve you in future jobs and in in life in general.
1: Absolutely right. It's a much more that's a much more subtle point, but that's true. I agree 100 and uh, you know who Gurdjieff is Gurdjieff. yes
0: yes okay. Gurdjieff. Gotcha. yeah i used
1: to read him when i was a young little hippie and he had something that he said uh some effect of work is never wasted even if you don't get paid right mm-hmm. it's like you're invisibly constant compensated and then you're you're just like to to work hard is to is to all is to accumulate wealth even if it's an, it, it, it becomes potential wealth even if it's not immediately manifest. so i've always sort of lived by that
0: yeah i mean i can't say that i i have always lived by what i was talking about but i, I recognize the the truth of it
1: yeah
0: and then <sighs> i mean they are also i mean someone who gets married is going to have wisdom about some some parts of life that someone who's never been married will not have for example dennis prager on his radio show he could usually tell within a few seconds if uh, the caller had ever been married like he could just pick up even if it was like a 50 year old bloke he could just pick up you know if the guy had ever been married or not because there was just a different way that men who'd been married speak because they're much more used to taking responsibility for others outside of themselves
1: I believe that's true. I can tell immediately. Actually, I think married men look different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, been, they're more under strain. <laughs> you know, they have a yeah, lot they more are, responsibility. They're not nearly yeah, yeah, as... Yeah, yeah free. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's a careworn look. It's yeah. a... Um, and they engage more... They engage more... Uh, Judiciously? Well... That, but also presently, more um, realistically, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's a certain. Um, they try to make sense of the present moment, and they, you know, they're not flighty, mm-hmm. the way that non-married people can be,
0: and and uh, married women, they stop, you know, they generally st- stop flooding, and they generally put a lot less emphasis on their appearance and uh yeah they they too get a little bit more serious about life absolutely yeah
1: those those are the women that vote republican yeah um, that's for sure that is for sure but how could i be thinking dennis prager i was thinking about tucker and you know so basically trump fatigue had set in early among a lot of these figures tucker among them and, you know, like you say, he is captured by his audience and he was dishing out hopium and copium and, uh, to his audience because he felt he had to. And even even the sage himself, Dennis Prager, was engaging with that. So who can you trust, Luke?
0: Well, this is where I will part ways with, with the criticism somewhat. So just because you voice hatred and contempt... And wanting to get away from a guy like Donald Trump doesn't mean that's your only attitude, all right particularly when you feel locked in so that your your job you know requires you to defend Trump, you're then going to be much more liable to you know expressing how much you hate the guy you in a, in a private text. It doesn't mean that that really sums up the whole of your you know position, so people are complicated. You know, there may even be some moments when you're not thrilled with your old buddy Forty. Uh, so we're all we're all nuanced. We all have all sorts of contradictory our orientations. But yeah, to maintain a pundit position with a right wing network, whether you're a syndicated radio host or uh, Fox News host, you you do you know have to support Donald Trump because Trump to. To most republicans seem to be the biggest thing standing between the, the country and uh, left-wing chaos and so it doesn't really matter how deeply flawed trump is we don't get to choose between an infinite panoply of, of choices right we usually only have a choice between something like trump or, or biden yeah. uh, trump or paul ryan and, and mitt romney and so yeah. out of those choices i would definitely go for trump and it really doesn't matter how deeply flawed. Trump is, he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and I'd still vote for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I was. I mean, I was completely... I guess I was consumed with this idea that Biden would be the absolute disaster. He would give the keys to the kingdom to the woke and it would be over. Um, I, I don't know. I think he's been more moderate than that.
0: Well, it's... <laughs> It's, it's, I'm not going to go either side. I'm not going to, definitely, I'm not going to say he's a disaster and I'm not going to say he's moderate. He has, you know, he has allowed a lot of, you know, extreme uh, left-wing, left-wing policies into his administration, but he presents it as he's the voice of moderation so it's complicated he's not a disaster but he's not he's not a moderate either because much most of his most of his party is way to the left of him and he has to govern with his party and so he's somewhere he's in the middle between moderate and extreme like he's all over the place but his rhetoric is frequently quite moderate
1: I mean, you know, obviously, you know my opinion of Biden. I don't think he's I don't, he's all there. I think he's, you know, he's, he's a function of permanent Washington. He's, he's controlled, he's informed by, he's shepherded by permanent Washington. I don't think Biden has any ideas of his own by right now.
0: And his chief of staff, Ron Klain, is way to the left. What was his former chief of staff, Ron Klain, was way to the left of Joe Biden. Virtually everyone working for Joe Biden is way to his left. Uh, almost every, you know, major Democrat is to the left of Joe Biden. And so he has to work with these people and so he he has to, you know, constantly throw them bones. Hmm.
1: A, I don't know. Uh, B, I think there's sort of a centrist consensus that exists among permanent Washington, and that's what governs. Governs. The election is just a, you know, it's a theater that people participate in and it gives them a sense of belonging by participating. But I, I think things don't change. I think we have to invoke Tom Wolf here. And I think everybody, ne- there's a formula that sort of works and that's the plan and that's what we adhere to.
0: Yeah, Tom, I- Tom Wolf said about American politics in case people have forgotten, that American politics is a train going down the track and you have people on the right screaming about this and that, you have people on the left screaming about this and that, but the train is just going down the track. And it doesn't really matter that much, you know, what people on the right and what people on the left are yelling about the train's is going to keep on rolling. And so he found American politics very boring.
1: Yeah, I, I'm in the Tom Wolf camp. Uh, I did read a uh, man in full a long time ago. I enjoyed that.
0: Oh, that was so good. I read it all night. I read it until like 3 a.m. Yeah. I read it straight through in about 12 hours.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, he was really keen. I think I might go through all of Tom Wolfe's books. Like, I never read uh, Bonfire of the Vanity. Oh, yeah,
0: that's good. I've uh, got a lot of his books as audio books, and I just let them play all night. <laughs> really? Huh. Yeah.
1: Maybe that's how I have to do it, because reading actual, an actual book tires me out. I find myself nodding off pretty quickly. Anyway, well.
0: And he was also, Tom Wolfe was quite the uh, race realist
1: was he uh openly so or was he well uh, i mean
0: he was very much a, a realist that different peoples have different gifts but he wasn't scott adams realist he wasn't he wasn't. No, he wasn't that crude and ugly about it
1: yeah um well i have a bunch of other stories but they may take too long to tell i don't think they should
0: tell bro you can never take too long is there one that's really on your heart this evening brother Unleash your burdens. Let us share in your burdens so that Uh, you may be lifted up.
1: Okay. I'll tell a story just for you. Um, I was thinking about this story when I was thinking about you and racial relations and Judaism and boyism. And so one story came to mind and I'd like to tell it if I could. Please. I'll try to make it concise. Please, Brother
0: Blatt, please.
1: Okay, I'll I'll try to make it concise. Okay, so... Now, bear in mind, this story, I didn't personally witness. This is a story that was told to me. And it's about Jack Griffin. Jack Griffin was a, was a, a guy in Boston, and he was an enormous man. He was incredibly fat. He 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 was like 400 pounds and over kind of fat. Like, I once saw Jack Griffin get out of a minivan, you know, and he had like two knee braces on, you know, because he was so fat he needed to wear knee braces because his knees couldn't support the weight that this guy carried around, right? Huge, huge man. And he was an Irishman. Or Irish American. And that's very common in Boston. Boston is very much an Irish town, if you didn't know that. And so you'd see Jack. And so everybody called him Jack to his face. But behind his back, they called him Fat Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Because Jack was indeed very fat. Right. And so uh, so, Jack was like a wheeler-dealer kind of guy. He uh, he dealt antiques. He dealt collectible guitars. He was into this and that. And he had a minivan, as I mentioned. And he would drive. So, he would deal with this friend of mine who was telling this story. And he would deal with him, you know, and he would scoot around town in his minivan. And... You know, he, he would make a deal and he would be, yeah, I talked to Pat Jack today, I made a deal with Pat Jack, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. So he wasn't a rich man, but he wasn't a poor man either. He had several real estate holdings in and around Boston. And um so 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 back in the um like the late seventies, early eighties, he had a bunch of properties, and one of his properties was a warehouse that he would rent out to uh, rock bands, like as rehearsal space, the spaces within the warehouse, they would use as uh, rehearsal space. So he would rack, he would rent the space out to them. And, um, you know, and so it's just, you know, it's a little business, maybe made him a little money, but it's not particularly noteworthy. But one of the bands that he rented out to turned out to be the Cars. You know the cars?
0: Yes, I love the cars. Drive. Cars were like
1: a major deal back in that era. They were a national act. It became a national act, you know. And I had songs. You know, just what I needed.
0: It just it just what I needed. I needed,
1: I needed someone to know. You know, they had a lot of hits, and they still appear on the bones some yep. of these hits. You know. So anyway, so that there were. So Jack rented to some successful acts. But he also rented to some not so successful acts, right? And sometimes they, these not so successful acts wouldn't pay their rent and he'd have to evict them. And so one day, um, back arrived at his property and after having evicted a, uh, you know, a deadbeat tenant, they're scrawled in spray paint on his property. Were the words, Jack Griffin is an Irish Jew? It's a valid.
0: I mean, it sounds nice to me. I mean, uh, the the beauty of those two civilizations mm-hmm. joined together in that one man. It's <laughs> one way to think of it, it's <laughs> uh, a rose colored way of thinking about it ebony and ivory.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> I don't know. That
1: happens to be one of the funniest stories I think I've ever heard. I didn't really. I don't think it had the same (laughs) impact on you. Uh, So that's Boston for you. Uh, You know, there's a certain crude underbelly. There's like, there's this Ivy League patina, but underneath it, there's like this crude Boston
0: edge. So how many how many hours a week is your employee getting paid for you? Well it's not by the hour. And thus,
1: thus introduces, and this has been the albatross around my neck all week. I've been walking around muttering to myself, but it's this percentage scheme that we have Uh based on, and it's a super complicated algorithm. And I knew I was, and the, the reason that I went, so I used to pay him by the hour. I used to pay him 20 bucks an hour, but on several occasions, I came upon the fact that he was not
0: scrupulously honest with his hours.
1: (laughs) He was not working diligently and he was not, as they say, adding value. (laughs) And so I, so I was thrust into this position. Do I just get rid of him or do I sort of change the incentives so that his incentives to work are more aligned with mine? So I learned this technique, you know? in my many years in business, my many years leading corporate America. Yeah. No, no. And, and my speaking. Many years, my many years of being a code monkey. Um, I learned, you know, how to align incentives. So I created this complicated algorithm where, you know, he get so much percent from this task, another percent for this task, et cetera. Then you add up all the percentages and he gets this much of the sale. Right. It was super complicated, but it beat, you know, paying by the hour and having yeah. it just blown off. Right. So, and I knew, I thought, well, you know, I just to be able to manage it somehow. You know, I was optimistic. And lo and behold, it worked for a while, but it quickly descended. He was always taking credit for things that he hadn't done and then demanding being paid a percentage. And this is where the rub started to be. And then we'd have a conversation and then he'd say, yeah, yeah, I understand. But then he didn't understand. And then, you know, he would just say what he needs to say in the moment, but when the day comes, he would like forget what we'd agreed to. Shit like this. And I've known this, that you can't and I finally learned this, you know, everything must be in writing. Everything must be in writing. So basically that's what I'm doing tonight as soon as I get off this call is I'm putting everything in writing, one last attempt to straighten this out. Otherwise I've just going solo. Wow
0: inspiring story
1: it's not it's it's another instance of me being really naive i always think i'm an exception but i always think that the real rules don't apply to me that i can finesse things i can engineer human nature oh yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah that's a I great mean? great example of an unwise approach to life the <laughs> rules don't apply to me
1: yeah yeah And for some reason, I need to learn this hundreds and hundreds of times over and over. And It doesn't, doesn't, it sort of gets into my head, but it doesn't like seep into my bones is where it needs to be, you know? And and that in fact ties into the earlier story, like um, successful people sort of know this. In their bones and they 're not sentimental about it, right yeah they can, they can sort of they can completely blow up a relationship they can just not have the relationship if, if it means having good fundamental business rules in place they can destroy a relationship on friend uh, if it means preserving the integrity of the business
0: yeah, they can just say this isn't working you know whatever yeah. area of their life when something yeah. isn't working the the more the more wise, the, the more effective a person is, the more quickly they will speak up when something isn't working.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I've seen this so many times, you know, and that I knew there was my time to speak up, but I just decided to let it ride. And it's come back to bite me in a big way.
0: What this is the pain Hmm. Mm mm-hmm go ahead
1: well you know like the buddhists they have a story about this and it's the smart horse the sort of semi good horse then they have the fair horse and the bad horse and it's like the good horse runs before they see the shadow of the whip and then the 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 fair the slightly the the excellent horse runs before they see the shadow of the whip the good horse will run when the whip grazes the their fur. Then the fair horse will run when the whip makes contact with their skin. And then the bad horse, the poor horse won't run even if the whip just crashes into their bones. It's like yeah. the ability to like I don't know. I think that's a, it's an analogy and I'm not a good work.
0: <laughs> and how many hours a week are you putting into your book business and what is it working out for you per hour in dollars?
1: Well, that's what I'm going to try to figure out today. Um, let's put it this way. At the end of the month, I think I'm making, I'll just talk whole numbers. I think I'm making probably 1500 bucks a month.
0: Okay. So but- it's not terrible. That's right. uh, more than I make on live streaming. Yeah.
1: and But the per hour on that is probably, you know, I don't know, $15 an hour. So it's not highly lucrative. It has the potential. As I get better, it has potential to be much more lucrative, but I keep making massive mistakes, and part of the mistakes I've been making are paying people to do that aren't giving you you know the value you need i need yeah and i think i just need to go solo as much as it's nice to have someone around to help as much as it is to have human connection though, as important as it is to have human connection sometimes it's just not economically viable
0: yeah and it doesn't sound like this person's really adding joy to your life marine Condo, no. she says you know only keep those things in your life that add joy
1: no and if i'm walking around muttering to myself about this guy.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's adding it's joy. That joy It's, no it's joy not joy. There's no joy, bro. No <laughs> you <know> joy.
1: <laughs> uh lessons learned the hard way, maybe. <sighs> All right. Well I I think you've indulged me long enough.
0: Okay. Blessings, Elliot. Alright,
1: All right, blessings. Next time. All right. Okay. So, Until
0: we meet again. In uh, again. that beautiful live stream in the sky. Yes. Yes. All right. Blessings. Blessings. Oh, shoot. That's not what I want. Okay. Back to... A few
2: weeks later, Netanyahu's cabinet introduced the first stage in a judicial overhaul that would weaken the country's Supreme Court and render the government largely impervious to oversight. Right-wing legislators had floated a similar measure before, but it was regarded as too drastic. What changed, Netanyahu's opponents say, is that he is a defendant now on trial for allegedly providing political favours to tycoons in exchange for personal gifts and positive press coverage, charges that he denies. By removing constraints on executive power, the overhaul threatened to place Israel among the ranks of such illiberal democracies as Hungary and Poland. In an extraordinarily blunt speech, the country's chief justice... So,
0: that's the, the key point here. It's not really that Israel is becoming less democratic israel is becoming more democratic but less liberal so the media talks and elites talk as though liberalism and democracy go hand in hand but liberalism and democracy are at odds liberalism is all about inalienable rights democracy is about the will of the people and the will of the people would frequently trample on your rights or on the rights of this or that group so democracy and liberalism are at odds But this article and most news media stories on threats to our democracy from the right take it for granted that that liberalism and democracy are essentially the same thing. They're not synonyms, they're more like antonyms. And so the head of the Israeli Supreme Court, surprisingly, doesn't want to lose power. Who ever heard of an individual who doesn't want to lose power? Who ever heard of a member of a bureaucracy that doesn't want his bureaucracy to lose power and prestige? Shocking.
2: Mr. Hayut called it a fatal blow to democratic institutions. Since then, tens of thousands of protesters have poured into the streets of Tel Aviv and other cities each Saturday. One marcher's placard summed up the sentiment: "For sale, democracy. Model 1948. No breaks." Netanyahu leads Likud, a party defined by conservative and populist ideas. Likud has long taken hardline positions on national security, but its leaders traditionally venerated the rule of law, maintained a balance of power, and upheld free expression. Netanyahu too used.
0: I'm not sure that there are that many people, including in Likud, who venerate the rule of law. Right, people who are effective venerate the rule of reality. Right, law is not nearly as objective as it is talked about. Law is always enforced by individuals. Individuals at different times and different places are quite willing to ignore whole swaths of law and to raise other laws which you know, people were ignoring and, and make them highly prominent. So the rule of law always depends upon the rule of individuals to enforce the law. It's always going to be selective. There's always going to be a tremendous subjective element to it. So there hasn't been that much of a difference between Likud and the Labour Party with regard to Israel's foreign policies. So this New York article talks about Likud just has this you know, really hard-line foreign policy. Well, it's pretty much the same as the Labour foreign policy. It's just that the rhetoric is a little harder. Just like Democrats and Republicans basically supported the same foreign policy, it's just that uh, Republican rhetoric is a little more nationalist and democratic rhetoric is much more about international institutions and liberal ideals.
2: Court-centrist voters attempting to convince the undecided. But as peace talks with Palestinians have failed and religious nationalism has gained force, the Israeli left has shriveled, and Netanyahu's party has become more extreme. Recently, a Likud lawmaker put forth a proposal that...
0: So why? 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 why has Israel's left crumbled and why have Israeli political parties moved to the right, it has largely to do with the utter failure of negotiating with Palestinians. So I think it was Israel's ambassador to the UN who, who said the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. So the Palestinians failed to make themselves good partners for peace. As a result, those elements of Israel that were all for engaging and making compromises with the Palestinians, they have been consistently discredited by reality. So when situations change, guess what? The the fortunes of Israeli political parties rise and fall, and the policies of Israeli political parties change as the reality around them changes. Luke Cross says, The lesbians of Tel Aviv could not carry the weight of democracy on their shoulders forever
2: effectively bar many Arab politicians from running for parliament. Protesters warn that Israeli headlines have begun to read like a manual for future autocracies with ministers seemingly handpicked to undermine the departments they run. The new justice minister intends to strip away the judiciary's power.
0: Okay. So if government bureaucracies are not running in alignment with what the people want, why is it such a horrible thing if these bureaucracies reorganize right now in pretty much all first world countries bureaucracies are an independent power largely immune from effective oversight by the executive branch by the judicial branch and by the legislative branch right bureaucracies largely in the first world just do what they want they effectively by interpreting laws they effectively write laws you can't sue government bureaucracies with few exceptions Right, you have a problem with the IRS or the Department of Motor Vehicles or, or the police, right? There's usually no effective redress. And all these government bureaucracies largely operate without effective oversight from the executive, legislative, and judicial branches. And so now we're going to get some possibly some effective oversight of some of Israel's bureaucracies that the majority of the population is not very happy with them. So this sounds democratic to me. If Donald Trump wins election in 2024, he supposedly has 50,000 people to move into leading government bureaucracies so that he'll be able to have more of an influence over government bureaucracies and bend them to the will of the people who elected him. So this article keeps really pointing out examples of how Israel is becoming more democratic under its new right-wing political ruling coalition. Come on, right? play. The
2: communications minister has threatened to defund Israel's public broadcaster, reportedly hoping to funnel money to a champ.
0: Okay, defunding Israel's public broadcaster is not inherently anti-democratic. It's neither pro or con democracy.
2: And all favorable to Netanyahu. The minister of heritage has called organizations representing reform Jews an active danger to Jewish identity. No one, however, offends liberal and centrist Israelis quite like Edomar Ben-Gavir. Ben-Gavir, who entered parliament in 2021, leads a far-right party called Atzma Yehudit, or Jewish Power. His role model and ideological wellspring has long been Mayer Kahani, a Brooklyn rabbi who moved to Israel in 1971, and during a single term in the Knesset, tested the moral limits of the country. Israeli politicians strive to reconcile Israel's identities as a Jewish state and a democracy. Kahani argued that the idea of a democratic Jewish state is nonsense. In his view, demographic trends would inevitably turn Israel's non-Jews into a majority, and so the ideal solution was the immediate transfer of the Arabs. To Kahani, Arabs were dogs who must sit quietly or get the...
0: Okay, so if the majority of Israelis supported the transfer of Palestinians out of Israel, that would be democratic, right? And to oppose it would be to oppose democracy, right? So it's not democracy that the news media and elites and uh, left-wing radicals really want. They want more power for their own perspectives on life. But it's not, you know, democratic rule. Majority rule that they really yearn for. It's in fact in many kind in many examples the very opposite of that.
2: His rhetoric was so virulent that lawmakers from both sides of the aisle used to walk out of the Knesset when he spoke. His party, Kach, thus was finally
0: well. The, the same thing happened to Winston Churchill in the nineteen thirties in Great Britain. So when you say unpopular things, doesn't mean that you're evil. Doesn't mean that you're irredeemable doesn't mean that you are working for the forces of darkness. just means that you're saying unpopular things. And many times, the unpopular things are the true and the good things, and the popular things are the lying and destructive things.
2: finally barred from Parliament in 1988. Jewish power is an ideological offshoot of Kach. Ben-Gavir served as a Kach youth leader and is called Kahani a saint. Ben Gavir, who is 46, has been convicted on at least eight charges, including supporting a terrorist organization and incitement to racism.
0: Wow. Incitement to racism. He's been convicted on at least eight charges having to do with regulating speech. He has said naughty, naughty, bad, forbidden things and... and the, the article, you know, totes it up as though, oh, this is inherently bad that he's been convicted of, you know, eight, eight infractions against Israel's speech codes.
2: Compiling a criminal record so long that when he appeared before a judge, we had to change the ink.
0: Okay, so a criminal record because Israel so closely regulates speech. If Israel had a more libertarian approach to speech, he wouldn't have this criminal record. So he is a free speech advocate, and in a society that uh, represses a great deal of speech, such as Israel, that makes him a criminal.
2: On the printer, Devere Kariv, a former official in the Shin Bet Intelligence Agency, told me, as recently as last October, Netanyahu refused to share a stage with him, or even to be seen with him in photographs. But a series of disappointing elections persuaded Netanyahu to change his mind. Netanyahu has been Israel's dominant political figure for a generation, serving as prime minister for an unprecedented 15 years. In 2021, though, he was sidelined by a parliamentary coalition that for the first time included an independent Arab party. During the elections last year, Netanyahu returned with what one legal scholar described as a knife between his teeth. To secure a winning coalition, he orchestrated an alliance between Jewish power and another far-right.
0: Okay, so to secure a winning coalition, he obeyed the dictates of democracy. Oi, that's so scary. All right, he appealed to the majority of Israelis. He got the support of a majority of Israelis. He governs with the support of the majority of Israelis. He has formed a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. How anti-democratic can you get? And Ben Bedley describes uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir as Lenny Bruce goes to the Knesset.
2: Religious Zionism. The alliance ended up winning the third largest share of seats in parliament, outperforming expectations so radically that Netanyahu now faced the disagreeable prospect of sharing power with Ben Gavir, a man whom the former prime minister Ehud Olmert described as a more imminent danger to Israel than a nuclear armed Iran. Rather than give him a sinecure, Netanyahu named him the national security minister.
0: So I'm not. You know, pro or con Israel's right wing government, right? I don't have any strong opinions. Uh, Itamar Ben Gavir may be more dangerous than a nuclear weapon, right? That that observation may be absolutely correct. This uh, new right wing government of Israel's might be an absolute disaster, right? I don't have any, you know, strong opinion on who should be governing Israel. My, My knee jerk reactions are right wing. So my knee jerk reaction is broad sympathy for this new Israeli government. But events, my dear boy, events may change so that this uh, new government may be an absolute disaster or it may need to moderate on some things. I, I'm not a partisan for the, the Israeli government.
2: In Israel, the embattled left wing stopped asking whether a figure as divisive as Ben Gavir could reach the highest levels of power. Instead, the question became... Can he be contained? The Heichal David event hall near Jerusalem's central bus station hosts weddings, bar mitzvahs, and once a year, a memorial for Kahani.
0: Wait, isn't isn't that uh, bus station also surrounded, filled with illegal immigrants from Africa? So if there was an Israeli government of the left or the right who did something about solving Israel's problem with illegal immigrants from Africa, I would be all on board with that.
2: ...chose the Hekal David, an MC there once announced, because it was the only hall in Jerusalem that doesn't employ Arabs. Last November, 32 years after Kahani was killed by an Egyptian-American extremist in a Manhattan hotel...
0: So Israelis tend to you know, live in a state of high tension frequently with Arabs, so that if there is a hall... In Israel that doesn't employ Arabs I would think that would help make many Israelis feel safer I I, that doesn't bother me if there were hotels or or restaurants or law firms or financial services uh, firms in the United States that would not employ Jews right and made the, the Jewish skeptical feel safer that wouldn't bother me either they should live and be well
2: A rowdy crowd gathered in the hall to commemorate his legacy T-shirts emblazoned with the slogan, Kahani was right, sold for $9. Women, the few who attended.
0: So you know why there are so many T-shirts and so many people saying Kahani was right? Because Israel's, you know, multi-racial, multi-religious, multi-cultural country, you know, frequently seems to be under a great deal of threat and attack in particular from its Arab citizens and from its Palestinian opponents. So if people increasingly feel like Kahana was right, that's because reality facts on the ground are suggesting that to them. I don't have a strong opinion one way or another about uh, Kahana. I'm not uh, here to support him. I'm not here to condemn him. I am here to recognize the reality that there is a substantial support for Kahana because of the problems with the Mordi Kodi Israeli approach.
2: cordoned off behind a screen. Ben-Gavir was scheduled to be the first speaker of the evening, but for weeks the press had dangled the question of his appearance as if it were a cliffhanger on a reality show. Ben-Gavir agreed to join the cast of Big Brother in 2019, but an early election derailed the plan. Ben-Gavir has been Koch's most visible ambassador. On his first date with his future wife, they visited the grave of Baruch Goldstein, an
0: extremist settler, Whoa. 1994, had down... Come on, what, what's happening to the, the volume levels here?
2: Ben-Gavir was scheduled to be the first speaker of the evening, but for weeks the press had dangled the question of his appearance as if it were a cliffhanger on a reality show. Ben-Gavir agreed to join the cast of Big Brother in 2019, but an early election derailed the plan. Ben-Gavir has been Koch's most visible ambassador. On his first date with his future wife, they visited the grave of Baruch Goldstein, an extremist settler who, in 1994, had gunned down 29 Muslim worshippers at the Cave of the Patriarchs, a holy site for Muslims and Jews in Hebron. Until recently, a photograph of Goldstein hung on the Ben-Gavir's living room wall at their home in the Kiryat.
0: Okay, so I'll admit, I think that is uh, idiotic, distasteful, stupid to glorify Baruch Goldstein. At the same time, I recognize that people experience life as a struggle between their in-group and out-groups, and Baruch Goldstein, for many people, is a member of their in-group who went to holy war with members of out-groups. Now, I think that what Baruch Goldstein was heinous and evil and terrible, and I do not venerate him, respect him, I would never put a picture of him up on the wall, but what those people are saying who put up a picture of Bruce goldstein it's not primarily that they want to go out and mass murder arabs they're saying they strongly identify with their in-group that they have put this divisive figure up on their wall to show that they're willing to just burn their bridges with respectable society and just throw in completely with their in-group and i'm going to throw in completely with this show for tonight i'll talk to you later bye bye